0: Aloha, and welcome back to the SubFM podcast. My name's Simon Hutchinson, and in this episode, I chat with Lucy Donohoe, a journalist and a podcaster from Happiful magazine. But before we get to that, this episode is brought to you in association with Starboard. Starboard has a long history in board design, with Sven Rasmussen entering the windsurfing market with innovative designs way back in 1994, and quickly building the brand and becoming the market leader within 10 years. Starboard quickly saw the huge potential of stand-up paddling, and while focusing on reducing their environmental impact, have continuously worked to produce the best boards and the best paddles for paddlers like Sup Connects, Man and Woman of the Year, Michael Booth and Fiona Wilde, and also for weekend warriors like me. And you can find out more about Starboard through their website, which is linked to in the show notes. Before we get to the episode, I'd just like to say a quick word about your support for the podcast and to really say a huge thank you for downloading this and any other episodes. The number of people listening has really exploded this season, so by listening to this you're giving us your huge support and trust. So I really appreciate you doing that. You've also been really lucky to get lots of love on social media. And if you haven't discovered us on Instagram or Facebook, then please look us up and we appreciate any shares you can give. And then last but not least, thank you to those who have bought our online SUP safety course. And if you've signed up to support us on our Patreon site, We are very, very grateful. We're not a corporate and we do appreciate any help you can give us. You may not be aware of a couple of free extras that we offer to give you some added value in addition to our episodes. We often see people asking about what technology they should use. And we've produced a free app guide download featuring the apps we use when we're on the water or when we're planning. And in this guide, we cover tracker and safety apps, weather apps, and even an app that allows you to see the vessels which are out there with you on the water. Which, if I'm honest, is a bit of a time waster, but it's really quite compulsive. And just in case you're wondering, no, we don't get any commission from recommending them. We just use them. And if you want to get that guide for free, then go onto the supfmpodcast.com website, enter your email and we'll send it right out to you. The other thing we've got available for free is our curated packs of episodes covering key topics. And we've pulled together a pack of episodes for beginners, pack for new tourers and explorers, a pack of our most popular and downloaded episodes and some others. And over the next few weeks, we're going to share those packs in the show notes. And if you scroll down through the show notes of this episode, you'll see a link to our Paddleboard 101 pack with everything you need to know as a new paddler. And that pack includes three episodes about how to choose your paddleboard. Yeah, it's a really popular topic. And there's also one in there about how to start surf surfing. So check that all out in the show notes. So over to today's episode and this week we feature Lucy Donohoe who is a journalist for Happerful magazine and the host of the Happiful Podcast. Happerful is a magazine focusing on mental health, and what made me want to chat with Lucy was her rather lovely article about her experiences with stand up paddleboarding. We're not just about world champions on this podcast, and I was very keen to get to chat with someone who's recently started their paddleboard journey, and Lucy is still in that first steep learning curve, but with the support of her instructor, Rachel Bambra of SUP4Coach, she's embracing that learning process and has some really interesting insights from her own experience, which she shares in our chat. And if you do want a great read, her article is linked to in the show notes. And as she says, it's really important to appreciate that falling isn't failing. Hi, Lucy. Welcome to SUP FM.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I've, I've been listening to your podcast and I love it. And just before we came on, I was telling you how much it constantly makes me want to go out and be on the water. So it's lovely to be invited on. Thank you.
0: Oh, well, it's an absolute pleasure and uh, I'm glad that it's had that effect on you and uh, hopefully have that effect on more of our listeners. So I'm really excited to have you on. And and the reason for inviting you is because you very beautifully connect up a couple of themes that run throughout many of our episodes, which is people who are starting their SUP experience and SUP as therapy and particularly mental health therapy. And I read your article in Happiful, which is called Falling Isn't Failing, How I Found Wellness on the Water, about your experience about learning SUP, and I had to speak to you. But before we get to your article and your experience, could you just tell us a little bit about Happiful and what led you to start writing for them, and, and also your very excellent podcast?
1: Thank you. That's that's really lovely. Well, I've been at Happiful now for, I think it's just over three years. And prior to Happiful, I actually worked in corporate communications and PR for quite a long time. And I, I live with OCD and obsessive compulsive disorder, but it had been something that I hadn't really shared with very many people. And Working in quite a pressurised environment could make it particularly stressful. And with OCD, it can be very secretive. So the outside kind of iterations of it, people wouldn't see, but it would be something that I would come home and I would, I would be checking and having concerns. So I got quite poorly and I made a decision to stop working in the centre of London and stop my job to look for another one. And I came across Happiful Magazine in Waitrose, actually, when I was doing some shopping. And it was only three or four issues old. And I just thought it was great. I thought it was exactly what we needed. Some really good inspirational articles, community feel, and a real rejection of stuff like diet culture and, you know, all those horrible things. So I went on their website and had a look and they were looking for someone to work on content. I didn't really think I fit the bill because of what I'd done before, but I had a glass of wine and I wrote an application and I ended up getting an interview which was wonderful and in the interview they actually said to me how do you know about us and counselling directory is is the kind of foundation of Happiful magazine and I told them that I'd used counselling directory to find a counsellor and that I had OCD and that was the first time I'd ever said it out loud in a job environment and we had a conversation about it and it was almost as if it was a positive, well, it was a positive because they're a mental health company, and I got the job and and that's how it started so happerful really they really do practice what they publish, and after working in corporate communications for many years, I think it's wonderful to find a small company who really are dedicated to that mission, and everyone in that company feels the same way so that's how I came to write for Happerful, and the podcast just evolved from a conversation about not being not being defined by a mental health challenge or mental illness. So it's called I Am, I Have. And the idea is that people talk about things that make them passionate or put a fire in their belly. And they also talk about a mental illness within that context. So it doesn't define them, but it is part of their life experience.
0: Mm. And and I highly recommend the podcast. Uh, We will link to in the show notes. um, And just interesting about your comments about OCD. Because there seems to be a movement generally about recognising the benefits that people are, who are not neurotypical bring to the employment market. I just wonder whether that's something or a debate that, that you've heard. I mean, certainly it um, it worked to your favour with Happiful, but are you starting to see that emerge a bit more in recent years?
1: Absolutely. You know, I think it's I think it's a conversation that that still needs to be played out in terms of what it means to to be have a disorder and, and what that means in the workplace and what that means for individuals. Because I think we tend to think that everybody who has that disorder would have the same type of traits. So I think a kind of individual approach to what works for people in the workplace. But I mean, certainly, from my own experience as someone with OCD i can be quite focused so when i focus on something i can i can absolutely carry it through to its its full extent and i have other traits that are more positive when i'm in a good frame of mind that i think come as part of the obsessive compulsive disorder i think i'm certainly very aware of my environment aware of how other people are feeling and and that can in its worst sense be hypervigilance which can be really damaging but also it means that sometimes I might spot something that someone else might not. So I think being able to have a conversation about the positives and don't get me wrong, not all mental challenges and mental illnesses come with that and, and everything is on a spectrum. But being able to have open conversations about what that means for you, at the kind of negative end, but also what that means for you at the positive end is, is a really interesting one to have if employers are, are welcoming that.
0: Mm mm-hmm. Yeah. So moving um, back to the article, it read as a bit of a love letter to stand up paddle boarding. (laughs) It seems that SAP has really helped you through some challenges. And I think whether people use it consciously or unconsciously for that, it is quite a common experience and one that we've talked about on the show previously. And probably one reason why it's been so popular recently
1: yeah, I th- it was a complete love letter to stand up paddleboarding because I think it's beautiful. I've, I had some really amazing experiences I have had and I continue to have, but not in the kind of traditional way of succeeding at something or finding something that's perfect for you. You know, I'm very imperfect <laughs> at SUP, but it's just a very beautiful way of experiencing the water and I live by the Thames in Hampton Court and I see the world in a different way when I'm on on the the board and, and trying to navigate along the river but it was something that I started earlier on this year. I'd wanted to do it for a while but I was waiting until I was ready and by that I mean I was waiting until I thought I looked like the kind of person who could put on a wetsuit and sup and since starting sup and meeting so many people, listening to your podcast, you know, Instagram, there's so many different people on Instagram that love paddleboarding. I've realized that that's just a, a complete myth and something that was in my head. But being going through menopause at an earlier stage is is what, what happened for me. And I was experiencing a lot of joint take and That was tough, but I I felt like I needed to do something joyful and stand-up paddle paddleboarding was was what I really wanted to do. So I I gave it a go and I've not looked back.
0: Brilliant. Well, I'd like to go into all of that in a bit more detail, including the learning experience, because the the falling in thing is a big thing. But um, in your article, you talk about having a real connection with the water from being a child and obviously a lot of us are quite similar but you referred to it there that you felt self-conscious about getting into the water and I know that's quite a common experience particularly for women and as you say there are lots of role models to encourage um, more women to do that and actually the sport probably sees more female activity in it than than male at the moment so could you just tell us a bit about the self-image aspect and also your water background and your sporting background?
1: I think from a really early age, there was something about being by the water that just made me very calm. And it's interesting when I had a name for some of the mental health challenges I had of obsessive compulsive disorder, that the one time I feel very calm is around water. And, you know, it started... When I was, I think I was about nine and we went to Cornwall and I remember just sitting for hours and looking at the sea and just thinking how beautiful it was. And as I said in the article, every kind of stretch of water does that for me. It's just something meditative about being by the water. And that continued throughout my teenage years and we'd go down to Cornwall quite regularly and I would, is it called belly boarding? Have I got that right? I don't know, that's what I used to call it bellyboarding. I would do that and there's pictures of me kind of coming out the sea looking very, very happy. But as I got a bit older I, I started to I started to want to cover up because I didn't look the way I thought I should. And I I would still go swimming, but I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't do anything that was too kind of exposed. I tried diving probably about 10 years ago, but there was something about that not being in England, not being around people I knew, I guess I thought I could get away with it. You know, and when I was growing up, there weren't conversations that there are now about body acceptance or body neutrality. And I just felt my body didn't really fit the, the type that you should be if you want to do those things but then you know I, I guess I realized with with being told that I was uh perimenopausal and my body changing so I, I put on a lot of weight which is absolutely normal and I was getting a lot of joint pain and things weren't going to get better immediately and I just kind of felt if I don't do this now I won't do it and also I work for a company where we talk about body neutrality, and we talk about, you know, not, we do, there is no such thing as a perfect body, there is no such thing as a perfect state, I kind of felt a bit like a imposter that I was talking about these things and writing about these things and hearing from some phenomenal speakers on these subjects. And I really agree with them. And yet, I couldn't apply it to myself. You know, there was a real kind of uh, pull in that. So I started looking locally and found someone called Rachel Bambra, a sup coach. And I just loved her way. When I was looking at her on Instagram, she just seemed very joyful, very down to earth. And I booked some sessions with her and it, it went from there.
0: You mentioned about menopause and obviously one of the symptoms in there is self-esteem. So there are sort of psychological symptoms as well as the, the physiological ones. Do you think that was kind of standing in the the way of you taking it up or or part of the motivation for taking it up?
1: Definitely. And I think since then, one of the things is that when your body changes in that way, you start to feel a bit separate from the self you thought you were. I know that sounds a bit odd, but it, it was almost like things were happening within myself that I wasn't expecting or didn't have control over. Mm -hmm. And I kind of wanted to just hunker down until it was all over. And subsequently, I'm talking to a rheumatologist because we actually think that the joint pain in particular might be separate to that. But it all just felt a bit... It all just felt a bit like I wasn't ready to cope with those changes. I didn't... I'm sure all of us don't feel old enough for certain things at certain times, but it just just felt like a bit of a betrayal like my body had betrayed me somehow and and i think i just wanted to be invisible and you know when you when you do things like podcasting and writing you kind of can be a bit invisible because it's your words that are out there not you physically and when i was doing pr before it was always somebody else that i was putting forward so i think that idea of kind of being invisible was quite entrenched and then going into lockdown, I could be even more invisible and, and just retreat from socializing and things like that. So really going out and putting myself forward and, and doing SUP was kind of, you know, a toe in the water, I guess, of, of uh, dipping my toe in the water of, of kind of emerging from that, that period of just feeling like things weren't going the way I thought they would.
0: Yeah, I, I think, you know, for me, it's obviously paddleboarding is quite a, a new sport and albeit the fact that I I first stood on a, a paddleboard about nine, 10 years ago, doing a new activity and being slightly older than all the sports that I've kind of done since I I was a kid, it does give you a whole different perspective and it kind of becomes a bit of a a metaphor and you you kind of remind yourself about the process of learning and, and how you sort of manage it. So it's quite an experience, isn't it, when you're learning anything for the first time because you've got to really be patient, not least with all the physical changes, but also mentally to be able to, give yourself a bit of a break and forgive yourself if you you fall off and obviously that's the key headline i guess of the of the article could you just tell me a little bit about your first experience on the board
1: i mean you're so right about that just just to go back to what you said about the the learning something and the wobbling and you know it is such a metaphor isn't it because Last year was such an uncertain time, going through early menopause is kind of uncertain and literally putting myself in a place where I am wobbling, <laughs> you know, very likely to fall off. It's not going to go to plan. But actively choosing to do that felt quite liberating in a, in a very strange way. So the first time paddling, I'd actually tried it once before in 2018, just as a, a kind of tester session. It hadn't gone great. I'd fallen off. Um, quite early on I'd been very excited about trying to do it and I think what happened was I wasn't expecting the water to be so cold and I'd had a bit of a panic about it when I'd fallen in and and that shocked me because I love being around water I thought I thought I would be very calm so I, I didn't really try again then and but I kept on walking my dog along the river and seeing people doing it and I just thought I really I really do want to try this and as I said I came across Rachel and went and met her down in Kingston and we had a conversation she was great and this is why I think it's so wonderful to to have someone to teach you and give you that time to talk through all the different things about the river and the best way to approach the river and what to do if I fell off and you know she really put me at ease but also as I said she's a very down-to-earth fun and and gentle person, so we we talked about taking it at my pace, and you know I told her that I had some joint aches, and she was very receptive to that, so we just went out and we we tried different things and actually, the first time I got on the board, obviously on my knees, and we went across the river, <laughs> I managed to collide with um with a bush on the other side, but before I'd done that, as I actually kind of moved away from the pontoon this this flock of geese just flew overhead as i was going across the thames and it was just the most beautiful kind of moment it was really poignant and then i crashed with the the bush <laughs> had a ton of twigs kind of in my hair and on my board and and we laughed and that kind of set the tone for everything it's like this isn't going to be perfect I am going to mess up. I'm going to do silly things, but actually we can laugh together. And then the next time I went, I fell off the board, getting on the board. So I hadn't actually gone anywhere, you know, and I've done all kinds of things, but having someone there to laugh with me and to make it all absolutely fine, you know, it's if you, if you, if you don't stand up, it's fine. If you do stand up, it's great. If you fall off, we'll practice self rescue. And that, that was just the best thing I could have had
0: and you know this whole business about falling off if you know you don't like falling in water then you're probably picking the wrong sport and a lot of people boast that they've been out and they haven't fallen in and i i think that's all part of the fun because that lack of elegance and you know you get the lack of elegance when you fall off in a comedy fashion and then you also you're also climbing back on because that's also not an elegant sort of situation it it it, it kind of punctures any self-regard and it really makes you engage with the sport but it's also falling in about trusting that you can improve and you do improve without realizing it you kind of get that muscle memory of of how to balance and before you know it you know you get better did you find that, that you improved over the various sessions
1: I mean, I agree with what you're saying in terms of it punctures any kind of self-regard you have, but it also puts you in tune with the playfulness of it, because I think we've had such a hard couple of years with COVID and everything. Sometimes it's just good to have that playfulness that we don't always have as adults, you know, falling in and literally (laughs) making a splash. And then, as you described, you know, kind of clambering back on the board, there's no way you're going to look elegant like that. So, you know, you just have to go with it. I have improved. I have. I still struggle with self-rescue. That's something with in terms of, you know, because I get pain and I'm not really as, I'm not really as strong on my, my top half as I would like to be. And I, I would like to practice at being, but I think my mindset has improved. So if that happens, I have, I have kind of coping mechanisms. You know, I know that I've got the board is on a leash and I can swim to the side of the river and just take a moment, and then start again. So I think perhaps my physical ability hasn't got better, but my ability to navigate what I would have deemed to be the worst case scenario before I started has got better. And actually, the joy of just knowing that I'm going to get out on on the water is is so extreme that actually nothing can kind of deter me from wanting to get out, even if I think I'm not going to be able to stand today or today is a bad pain day. Um, so I think my mindset's changed. I'm not sure that my body's caught up with it yet, but I'm working on that.
0: <laughs> well, there, there's the knowledge aspect and the technique. So, you know, you are absolutely not alone finding it difficult to to get out and, and on, you, on your board. And there's different things you can do to do it, but it does also come down to technique. So, you know, the, the kind of unfortunate thing is that it does take probably a little bit of practice to work out what the best approach is and where your hand should be and where you should grip and all of those movements. It's very rare that people sort of just get straight up on there. It's like an, a number of, of different stages, but it, it but it is worth persisting with. And as you say, you know, if you know how to self-rescue, if you can take the board somewhere where you can climb on um, a bit easier, then then obviously that's, that's a really good thing. And you mentioned a couple of times about the joy of being out there on the water. Because there's a couple of things involved in there. The, the joy of water itself, people talk about Blue Mind, oh, yeah. where are naturally set up to find water environments far more relaxing. And then you've also got this exposure to the natural world as well. So you've got both of those. Plus, if you're standing up and if you're concentrating on balancing, particularly when you're new, there is no time for you to have that little voice in your brain noodling away at you and telling you you haven't done this, you haven't done that. Because if you start listening to that little voice, then you end up in the water. So I, I think that there are basically three really healthy aspects of, of exposure that paddleboarding that can give to you in terms of managing your mind and albeit that time on the board is a relatively short interruption in comparison to how long you stay away from the board it does give you that little mental holiday
1: you're so right you're so right about those three things and as you were saying that I could I could picture moments that fit each of those kind of criteria if you like when when you're out on the board and you know for me it's it's also seeing the world in a different way you know i walk down the the river most days with my dog but you just see it completely differently and and i started earlier this year when it was winter and i've seen the perspective from within the river change you know i've seen the different wildlife the other day we we paddled from kingston up to hampton court and along the river mole and the different birds we saw, you know, these beautiful electric blue, they weren't horseflies, dragonflies, beautiful electric blue dragonflies. You know, you just get these little glimpses of nature that you wouldn't from the other side. And that's kind of magical, I think.
0: Mm, yeah, it's it, it's fantastic. I interviewed a chap called Tristan Gooley, who talks a lot about natural navigation and wrote a very good book about Uh, how to read water. And it was a revelation to me because I spend quite a bit of time when I can on the water. But There are all these patterns and behaviours of water that you wouldn't notice as a person on, on dry land, you know, unless you really looked for it. So there's that whole added education and experience when the seasons changed and you see the nature and you see the water and you know that, that way i th- the the attraction for me is stand up paddleboarding is knowing that there's always something to learn no matter how experienced you are
1: isn't that that is so fascinating that kind of the it's not the psychology of the water but you know th- that it has this kind of life that we have to interpret and understand and be respectful of as well as as paddleboarders you know and it's one of the things with the sea in particular You know, it's such a mass. It's such a source of joy, but also, you know, you have to respect it. You have to you have to work with it. You have to not take it for granted that that you'll be okay. There's a certain kind of give and take when you're out in the water to to be safe. That I think is incredible to learn but there are there are certainly dangers in terms of we do have the locks we do have fast flowing water you know the other day when we were out one of the things is just people inhabiting the water because it was so hot there were swimmers there were boats there were there were kind of boats that people just take out for the day and don't necessarily have a huge amount of education about using the water and you know one of the things that Rachel has always been very hot on is, is the water etiquette and how to look out for yourself and how to look out for others. But there were swimmers and there was rowers and there were pleasure boats. And it was quite unbelievable how many near misses we saw when we're out on the water that day, especially with, with swimmers and rowers Uh, and not wild swimmers. It was casual swimmers who perhaps didn't have a, a toe float or a, you know, a cap on. So yeah, there are, there are all kinds of different dangers around us that you, you have to be mindful of and also respectful of other people that are using the water, you know, the, the, the fishermen, fisher people, sorry, should I say, you know, in their lines, that's one of the things that's huge around us. And you don't want to get caught in a line and they don't want you to get caught in their line. So it's that kind of being very observant whilst also, you know, taking everything in. It's, it's all the senses, isn't it?
0: Exactly. And, and, you know, it's particularly surprising if you haven't done a huge amount of activity on the water before. It's a, it's a whole new world. I think the, the other thing which has been particularly noticeable from new paddleboarders is, is the sort of attention on water quality and, and littering and so on. And uh, paddleboard movements to address the plastic problem and, and pollution. How, how's your stretch of the water?
1: Not good, it's really not good. and I was listening to your podcast with Lizzie Carr actually yesterday, and i've ordered <laughs> I've ordered the bucket and the picker because last time we went out on on the paddle, I was just talking about the amount of plastic bottles in the water, but also sanitary products, food wrappings, you know everyone's coming down and they're they're sitting by the river, they're having picnics. Stuff's getting into the river, stuff's getting, you know, around the kind of ecosystem and there are a lot of birds in the river and you can just see it. You can see it all along the river and in their nests. And it's it's really sad to see the the general littering in public spaces where I live has really skyrocketed and there's a lot of people who are working to to mitigate that. But it's just such a sadness that we talk so much about recycling in our homes and rubbish, and there's all of those different conversations, and yet it doesn't seem to extend to when we go out in nature. I, I just find that really disheartening. But on the flip side of that, you know, you've got people like Lizzie and lots of others who are really working to not only clear those spaces but also make a change in policy and you know go back to the brands who are consistently being seen in those littering spaces and ask them if they can support but yeah no it's been really really poor around us recently and it's it, it's a real source of sadness
0: and and just to, to say Lizzie Carr episode I'll link to that in the show notes my audio on that's absolutely awful it sounds like I'm um, broadcasting from a tin box. But Plastic Patrol, which is the organization she runs, has a really clever approach to this because it's not just about picking the the stuff up, which obviously is good, but it's all about logging it via the app. And if you can do that, then what they do is they use that information to highlight that with the companies that are doing it. And Lizzie Carr is a LinkedIn influencer. She's got links with the, the government and she's involved in a couple of projects so certainly from a, a uk basis you know she has that direct approach which you know potentially can help to highlight that with the companies concerned but i know that there's a international aspect to plastic patrol as well so i'd really recommend that you download the app if you can and listen to the the episode just ignore my audio on on that one.
1: um It's a great episode. You know, I didn't I didn't really notice the audio at all. It's such a great episode, and and the conversation about how Lizzie came to SUP, and also how she's gone in the direction that she is 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 fascinating.
0: Mm, yeah, no, it's, I mean she's she's done some pretty gritty expeditions. So you also mentioned about open water swimming, and this has definitely been something that that's skyrocketed alongside paddle boarding and there've been lots of groups set up Um, and you mentioned that uh, you you had quite a lot of of body pain but uh, cold water obviously we, we know that it's got dangers to it but it's had a real effect on you hasn't it?
1: It really has and and water generally so I swim three times a week in the morning in a local before I start work and it has a real impact on, on how I feel, how loose I feel, how well I feel. It, it really has helped. And I, I write for another magazine called The Court Circular, which is a community magazine in and around where I, where I live. And we approached a lady who I was following again on Instagram, who swims every single day. And during the winter, she actually was breaking ice to swim Um, She's a very accomplished swimmer and I was just fascinated. I got in contact with her and asked her if I could do an interview and she invited me to go for a swim. And she is part of the Surrey Open Water Swimmers, which is a group. And again, a bit like Rachel, in terms of people coming into the water, there's a lot of conversations about how you do that safely. You know, how you do it in a way that means that you're respectful of the water and, and what it can be like but you're also aware of everybody else that's in the water. And I went out with her the first time and she was just amazing. So we got in and she talked to me about breath and breathing as the kind of water got further and further up my body. And She told me I would get this kind of feeling of shock, but that it would only last for a small amount of time and to keep breathing, keep breathing. And then before I knew it, I was swimming. And the feeling was incredible. You know, it's a very... The river feels very different. It feels quite silky, which I'm sure is the silt and everything. But yeah, we swam and there was, we have a swan near us called Sid. I believe it's because he can be a bit vicious. So Sid vicious. So she was spotting him. So he wasn't coming too close. And yeah, it was just amazing the feeling that I got when I got out. My skin was really tingling. You know, I felt really, I felt really well. And she was saying to me that she, it was the exact same thing. She had a lot of joint pain and was taking a lot of pills for it. But now she swims in the river every single day, unless it's dangerous to do so. And her pain is really minimal, but also it does amazing things for her mood. She said her partner knows if she hasn't been for a swim and says to her, I think you should go for a swim. You know, and if you, if you follow her. Her name is Juliet Turnbull. She's on Instagram. You can just see how joyful it is for her. You know, she absolutely loves it.
0: Well, that, that's fantastic. And and certainly bears out, you know, again, what we've heard on the show. I did an interview with a guy called Mike Tipton, which I'd really recommend uh, having a listen to if you haven't already. So he was talking about cold water shock. So obviously the impact on paddlers, but also the positive effects. And as part of his studies, he had someone who was on antidepressants and went swimming every day in the sea um, throughout the year. And in the end, you know, obviously with doctor support and approval is coming off her antidepressants. Um, now, that's just one situation, not something that we would recommend. But uh, those endorphins, either from swimming or the cold water, really have a, a massive effect on the body. And uh, I did it throughout the winter, and the only day that I didn't do it was when the the ice got about two inches thick, so I couldn't sort of break it through. But it just does wonders. Admittedly, I didn't stay in there for very long, but it's that endorphin rush from getting in there, and it had quite an effect. So uh, are you going to keep this up during the winter?
1: I I I don't know I'd like to definitely but I'd love to know how you cope with that when you first get in do you do you do a lot of breathing and or or are you just a get in and and deal with it
0: well you t- you take a, a a deep breath and then you you just go in you go in gradually and it's incredible how the body adjusts to it I think it's very cold. You've got to be careful about swimming because there are some physiological effects that can happen. You know, if you do stay in at any length of time. But it's worth having a listen to the to the Mike Tipton episode and uh, cold water shot, which we talk about quite a bit, um, is still an issue in the summer as well as the winter particularly on inland water so particularly lakes um, up in scotland there has been a bit of an unfortunate thing happening on loch lomond near glasgow over the last few days so certainly something people should educate themselves in but there are positives as as well as negatives
1: i saw that the rnli were doing a a fantastic campaign around that as well as as to talking about floating to save mm. yourself when those kind of things happen, and there's some great videos out there explaining cold shock, and I'm sure you've you've talked about that in in some depth. But there are there are great videos out there that I certainly watched, and it helped me get a better understanding of probably what happened to me the first time I tried SUP and fell off and panicked because that really it really did play with my confidence because I I didn't think that I would get panicked about being in the water and when I understood the physiological response to it you know you can start to think about what can I do to make myself safe or what can I do to respond in that moment and I think having a bit of understanding of that is really helpful before you put yourself in that situation and certainly I didn't before
0: Yeah definitely and for those people who haven't Taken lessons the best way to fall up off a stand up paddleboard if you can sort of adapt your falling off at all is to try and keep on top of the water so you know if you fall off backwards in a safe area spread your arms and legs out and to basically do like a belly flop but on your back so the idea is is that you, you keep your mouth above the water because the first stage of cold water shock is a big inward breath and obviously if your face is under the water at that point then that can be a real problem because you can end up in a Inhaling water, and and as you said, the RNLI campaign is float to survive. So it's just a question of giving yourself time to get past that initial breathing thing, and then you can you can paddle or swim to your paddle board and, and climb on. But yeah, it's it's been a big problem this year, I think. But the more we can talk about it, the better, I think. And and. Lucy, just moving on from that, you also tried a bit of SUP yoga. Now, this is an area of SUP which I I haven't done. I I would imagine that it's a kind of way of of making you keep your position very, very carefully because you've got real um, problems if you're cheating in any way. Is that right?
1: (laughs) Well, it's interesting because where I went was Elmbridge Canoe Club. do it on a Sunday and you paddle over to a pontoon. And you hook your leash over. So your your board is fairly, well, it, it's in one position, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't stray from that position. And it is very much about core strength and breathing. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to do quite a lot of the positions because I wasn't able to, to move and stand. But, you know, it's beautiful. Again, you're on the water and you are focusing on your body and the movement And the day that I did it, actually, there were some swans on the pontoon behind the lady who was showing us the poses and they were stretching and moving along with us, which was, it was, they were so inquisitive. And I'm kind of beaming while I'm talking about it because it was really beautiful. I was terrible at it. You know, my board was slapping in the water. There were other people around me who looked so serene and, and like it was second nature. But, you know, you have to give these things a go, I think, and it was still a lovely experience I would still do it again but it was definitely something that I was shocking at (laughs) but that's not that's not a reason not to do it
0: exactly and there's never a bad day on the water is there you always get something positive out of it
1: and I got to lie down on the board afterwards
0: (laughs) there you go there you go that that meditative experience there maybe a little maybe a little kip
1: a little lie down yeah
0: so, obviously, in your capacity as a writer for Happerful magazine, what sort of advice would you give to women or men who think that paddleboarding's beyond them?
1: I think if you want to give it a go, please do it, because you will enjoy it. <laughs> you might not be brilliant at it. Find somebody who you can go out with, who can adapt their teaching style or adapt the way they work with you to you because I think one of the best things you can go out is with some one of the best things you can do is go out with someone you trust in the first instance get the basics and feel supported and I know there's a a cost attached to that but I think in the long term it will it will stand you in good stead to have someone who is working with you in the the shape and the space you're in at the moment because not everybody's the same you know and as as Rachel said everybody learns in a different way and everybody will experience the water in a different way everyone brings something different to the board you know people are doing it for different reasons or you know it might just be a fun day out for someone for me it was you know it was something I really wanted to do and I needed to do so try and find someone who will work with you and listen to you and teach you the basics. And the other thing is, listen to podcasts like this. Look at people on Instagram. I follow some really inspirational people like Jo uh, Mosey, who, who did that fantastic film, Brave, and another lady called The Plus Size Paddler, who talks about, you know, ways that she self-rescues and, you know, the kit she wears and, and the, the paddle she goes on. So just follow people, listen to stuff, get excited about it. And, you know, there never is a perfect moment to do something. We've only got this moment. And I think that's become really clear over COVID. So if you wait for the perfect moment, it may never come. So do it now.
0: Absolutely couldn't agree with you more lucy thanks ever so much for coming on and chatting and we'll link to your article and the podcast in our show notes but how can people connect with you and find out more about you
1: oh thank you for having me honestly it's been lovely i haven't stopped smiling the whole time and i really really want to go out on my board now so thank you for everything you do so I work for Happiful magazine. It's Happiful.com. You can also download the free Happiful app where you can read all the articles. And also, if you are looking for mental health support, you'll be able to find peer support groups on there as well as counsellors and life coaches. So do download that. It's free. The podcast is I Am, I Have. We've got five seasons. I'm on a little break at the moment, but it will be back later on this year. And on Instagram, I'm at Lucy Views. And I'd love to hear from you.
0: Brilliant. Thanks so much, Lucy. And look forward to seeing you on the water at some point.
1: Oh, that would be lovely. Thank you.
0: Well, thanks to Lucy and thanks to you for listening. And don't forget to check out the show notes for a link to Lucy's article, Falling Isn't Failing. And please give her podcast a listen. It's always a real privilege to talk to all of my guests and I always tend to reflect afterwards on the outputs from the chat. And pieces that really struck me from my conversation with Lucy is that as humans, we've all got our own stuff going on, particularly stuff that's deep underneath the surface. So let's just bear that in mind and be kind when we're out there. And the other thing is, is that whenever we're struggling with something or we're getting frustrated or we're being self-critical or if we just drop the ball, falling isn't failing. We just haven't worked out how to do it yet. So let's give ourselves a bit of a break. Let's abandon that whole shame thing, as I really should have done when I was talking to Lucy about the audio in the Lizzie Carr episode. So I think that's enough Zen for one day. Thank you again for listening and I'll see you on the water.